Welcome to the Energy Fellows podcast, where each episode is designed to share expertise and experiences from U.S. and global energy fellows. They provide direction and possible solutions for ultimate journey results. Here's your host, Mark Stansberry. Enabling best-in-class customer experience and operational excellence in a hyper-connected oil and gas world, TCS prioritizes problem-solving and leverages customer insights to drive real business results. To find out more, go to TCS.com. That's TCS.com. Welcome to another episode of the Energy Fellows Podcast. I'm Mark Stansbury, your host. And today, we have a special guest. He's been on before, but before I introduce our guest, I'd like to mention to you that we have in our show notes, rate and review. Please go there. We'd love to hear from you about rating and reviewing and tell us things you'd like us to do, what we're doing right, and what we need to do in the future. So please give us your feedback. Also, there's a survey on there that we hope you'll participate in. It's 10 seconds or less to fill out and to answer that is, and you'll get you know some items from us. So if you will, you'll get a stickers for doing that for your hard hat or for your laptop or whatever. So please keep that in mind. I want to keep you updated on the book, America Needs America's Energy and Its Natural Resources. We hope you'll go to that book, either on Barnes & Noble, Amazon. We'd like to hear from you about that as far as dialogue and debate when it comes to our energy future. The documentary, which came out at the end of 2022, and Sherwood Forest Top Secret, that's on pbs.org. And hopefully you'll look at that and give us some review as well on that. And then Oil Man Magazine, I continue to write for Oil Man, Energy's Magazine, Oil Woman Magazine, especially Oil Man, going on 10 years, starting 10 years soon on the Oil Man as far as the, every issue is there's a column that I provide. So please go there. Well, today we have with us a great friend, a great leader in the energy industry, and it's Jose Becerro. Jose, welcome to Hello, uh, Energy Fellows. Yeah, hello, Mark. Thank you so much. It's great to be back on the program again, and I uh, really enjoy spending some time talking with you about energy issues. Well, I do too, because my goodness, you have so much knowledge and wisdom go along with the knowledge, which is great for us. And I would like to start, I think the last time you were on, you had another position that you had worked for several years. And if you will describe that, but then if you will update us where you are today, and then we'll get started on some areas of energy issues and views. Absolutely, Mark. So the last several years, really, you know, during the pandemic and then kind of emerging out of the pandemic, I was working out of the Houston, Texas region for the Greater Houston Partnership, which essentially is the regional chamber of commerce for Greater Houston. It represents a, approximately a 12-county region. You know, not surprisingly, one of the big focus areas for the Houston Regional Chamber is on maintaining and continuing to grow the regional energy economy. And so that effort is undertaken by working closely with the energy industry, the energy majors, the startup community, the energy finance companies, every facet of the industry that exists there, making sure that that is maintained and grown over time. So I had a great experience there working closely with the energy sector and really developing a lot of understanding of what the priorities are for what we call energy transition so with that knowledge and experience, I have recently transitioned to a, a new position at a global consulting firm called Kroll. Kroll, and we'll get into more about what Kroll does, but Kroll essentially is a global tax advisory and valuation services consultancy that is, has offices all over the world and headquartered in New York. And I work out of the Austin, Texas office for Kroll. My work is focused on site selection and incentives advisory 
specific to energy transition, working with the energy sector to site new energy transition facilities. And so this is really, for me, Mark, a continuation of my career and work in the energy sector that started all the way back to my early days working for the Austin Chamber of Commerce and then for a couple different universities and then the Houston Chamber. So really continuing along that trajectory, working with the energy sector to site new projects and to really grow and diversify our energy economy. Well, you've always been at the forefront. Yeah, I met you years ago in Austin while you were in the economic development stage at the Chamber, at the Austin Chamber, and and the things I saw there and the, the opportunities that you had in front of you, but the challenges you met and really successful grew Austin into quite an energy hub because of your efforts. And then in Houston, the same thing. And when we say the energy sector, it's pretty broad. I mean, you're not just looking at oil and gas and, you know, you're looking at at all the different opportunities before us. And uh, so you're always in the forefront that way. We really appreciate those efforts. And now with Kroll, we look at, and what is your title now with Kroll? With Kroll, my title is Director of Site Selection and Incentives Advisory. And I work specifically within the energy transition practice for Kroll. Our office, you know, I'm based on the Austin, Texas office. We work on projects all over the state of Texas, but I also get involved with projects outside of Texas, especially if they're energy transition focused. What are you seeing as far as in demand? I mean, are you seeing certain sectors that are stronger than others, or do you see kind of an even balance? What, what do you see, for the, especially, you know, those that are entering the workforce, but also those that are need to possibly transfer it to another part of the energy sector? Yeah, you know, I think we're seeing just a tremendous amount of activity across the entire energy industry globally on trying to find new revenue streams, new technologies, new ways to meet new regulatory requirements at the federal level here in the United States, but also in Europe and other parts of the world, where I think there's more increasingly a focus on the energy sector going net zero by 2050. And every energy company is really trying to figure that out. At the same time, ensuring that they don't lose their revenue growth and projections for profitability. So Every energy company on the planet is looking at new investment opportunities and new technologies from renewable energy to green fuels and renewable fuels. You know, hydrogen is definitely a hot topic across the energy sector and trying to figure out new innovative ways of producing hydrogen for lower cost and make sure the hydrogen is made from green sources of energy and efficiently from water, et cetera. And so I think in terms of the workforce, Mark, you know, I think the workforce is really also in transition for the energy sector. And I think the energy sector is really looking to recruit new types of talent and develop new types of training programs internally to really get their workforce up to speed on all of these new technology areas and and really understanding how these energy companies can remain competitive long-term by embarking on new divisions, new technologies, new facilities. And they know they have to, their workforce has to really match kind of the long-term trajectory and ambitions of the company. And so I think what you're seeing is is the workforce is transitioning just as quickly as the energy resources and power generation facilities are as well. That's wonderful. And with that, there's the challenge. It just seems, especially if you say oil and gas, what the public is demonized maybe or not as positive to find recruitment that way. But the energy sector is very broad beyond oil and gas, as we talked about. How do you envision then to pursue especially those young individuals that are looking for a career in energy 
and maybe they don't know they need <laughs> to look that way. How do you entice them to look at the energy because there's energy sector because there's so much out there that they could be part of, you know, and because it's so broad. I mean, there's so much need in you know, we talk about the talent and retention. What does Houston, what does Austin, what does Texas have to offer that other places don't in that sense? Of course, this is nationally. You need energy everywhere. Right. Yeah. You know, and I think it's the title of your book, Mark, America Needs America's Energy Now. And I think the young generation, the millennial workforce, the kids who are graduating from colleges and universities and technical training schools right now know that in order to be competitive long-term, you know, our state of Texas, our country, the United States, you know, we have to remain competitive. And the way you do that is ensuring your future energy supply and making sure that you are as energy independent as you possibly can be. And that's really what the nation, I think, kind of a national call to action for our country and especially for the state of Texas being the, really the energy capital of the country we know that we have to do whatever we can in order to ensure our energy supply because without energy, you really can't do much else. You can't really develop your healthcare and medical systems. You can't develop your transportation systems. Cities can't grow and be sustainable. You can't accommodate the rapid growth in population that we're seeing all across this country, especially in southern states where you're seeing a lot of population migration to the south. And so everyone knows that energy is the key variable in being successful and really being sustainable long term. And so I think the young workforce recognizes that the skills they're developing today really have to take energy and sustainability and climate science and all these factors into account in order for their skills and the workforce to really have a huge impact on the future. And I think what every employee, every worker is trying to figure out in this energy world is you know, how do you make a strong impact to really lengthen the runway and making sure that, you know, our planet and our economy and our nation continue to thrive long term? And I really think that's a key element in the workforce that I'm seeing emerge or really launch into the workforce today is thinking about how do they make a long term impact with the skills that they've developed. So that's really been a key aspect to what I'm seeing out of the university systems and community college systems. You know, all these advanced technology degrees from machine learning and robotics and, you know, AI, all of these skills are really what are needed to help the energy sector thrive and grow into the future. And I think the workforce is really committed to doing that. So I know we've talked, Mark, in the past about the workforce, you know, this digital workforce, this innovative workforce being Mm -hmm. hesitant to go into careers in oil and gas. But I think the, today, the equation has changed so dramatically, given global factors, geopolitical events, what's happening in Ukraine. I think every skilled person coming into the workforce today knows that America's success is dependent upon its ability to be energy independent. So how do you contribute to that effort? How do you apply those skills to making sure that we guarantee our future energy supply? So that's really been a key trend that I've observed with the workforce and the industry as a whole. Well, I find, you know, back when I was in the early days of thinking about getting the energy business, you know, basically I looked at it as an opportunity. It was really exciting to be in the oil and gas industry at that point in time. I was looking at it, well, I could spend my life, you know, 30, 40 years down the road. And, you know, we didn't necessarily think about the impact or contributions that I find that a lot of the younger folks today 
are looking at not only a job, but how can they contribute to society along the way as well. And I think the energy sector, especially with the challenge of 3.5 billion or so that don't have the access to, for example, electricity or energy like we do here in the United States, where they, you know, nighttime, they can't, you know, turn a light switch on because there's no electricity. Refrigeration, all these different things that we have that are accessible and, you know, always reliable pretty much, you know, that other places in the world don't have. So that makes it really a contribution that's huge because if you don't have energy, nothing moves without energy, whether it's health or, you know, anything we can think about as far as health industry and all these other industries, agriculture, on and on, that are supportive. So again, it kind of goes back to how authentic, we use the word authentic in the sense of what do you see? Are we making, as an energy industry, are we making really the impact and showing that what we do have to offer is really something they should look at? Or do we need to meet the challenge and boost that up some. Well, it's amazing, Mark. I mean, as lucky as we are here in the United States of America, and especially Texas, Oklahoma, energy-rich states, you know, the lights generally work, the power generally stays on in our homes, the water is clean. We generally have all the resources we need to get through our daily lives and to ensure the health and wellness of our families and keep our businesses going. But at the same time, I think, you know, what is a clear trend is that it's not energy, water, access to clean food and healthcare. It's not a guarantee, even in the United States. And I've, I think we've seen in recent months and years, especially here in Texas, you know, with the grid being extremely vulnerable to just the, the extreme population growth that we've seen here in Texas and all southern states and you know, just extreme weather events that's been kicking off power, whether it's an ice storm or an extreme summer heat wave or a drought. And I think the current workforce and especially the the young workforce coming out of university programs and their training programs are realizing that, you know, this isn't a guarantee anymore. I mean, what you know, the grid used to just be 100% guaranteed. The lights always worked. You never had problems. But now we've had multiple power outages and and grid out outages. And even in Austin, Texas, we had this massive ice storm just a couple months ago that knocked out power for almost a week, actually, in some cases for two weeks for some citizens. And to think that you're living in a very modern technology advanced community like Austin, Texas, and then the grid's down for two weeks, and that ultimately impacts the water treatment facilities and the pump stations, and you can't even get you know water into your home for a week. You know, that's, it's amazing to think that we live in such a sophisticated, advanced economy and with power infrastructure, yet we have a lot of problems still. So I think well, my point in all this is that I think the energy sector realizes that there's a lot more we can be doing. There's a lot of improvements that still need to go in to our energy systems and networks and new technologies that need to be adopted. And then the workforce knows that there's a lot more to bring to the table in terms of new innovation and business models and, and skills that need to be brought into the industry to really improve and advance our infrastructure so, you know, we are super lucky again with where we live and sit here in, in the United States of America, but there's still a lot of vulnerabilities that need to be improved upon. So I think that's kind of where we are currently today. And I think that's why there's so much focus and motivation around really solving our energy future through energy transition. That's a really good point. You know, it's before us today, and we've heard some positive and negatives from this, but ESG, 
and you know debated around not only the energy industry but other industries, other sectors, and it you know if handled properly, ESG definitely I believe in my opinion has a place by all means. It's just a matter of how to approach it and to make sure that it's streamlined to where people can transition. But tell us how you're seeing ESG and and how's it, yeah. is it being accepted and what needs to be done. Yeah, you know, I think ESG is certainly kind of this long-term, it's been trending for a long-term time period now where companies have been slowly adopting sustainability programs and milestones and metrics. And a lot of it was tied to making sure that corporations are doing their part to minimize impact to the environment and to do their part to fight climate change. And on some level, it was because, you know, some companies do operate in not so clean businesses and and have large carbon footprints and they're really trying their best to deliver clean and sustainable end products and services to their customers. And so a lot of the early ESG work, I think, was really important because a lot of it was kind of self-imposed by companies wanting to do better and wanting to prove to their customers and supply chain partners that they were going to take a stand and going to really elevate the stand, the global standard for how you operate. And so I think a lot of the work to date on ESG has been quite meaningful and had a positive impact. And I think going forward, though, I think we were kind of at a crossroads where, you know, there are some state and federal and kind of national governments who are trying to impose more stricter ESG requirements, you know, more of a stick approach, as opposed to a carrot approach on, you know, regulations. And the debate is still out on what is most effective, whether we need to have a stick or a carrot approach to ESG. And also, I think it's more than just ESG today is more than just fighting climate change specifically. I think it's also being driven largely by shareholders who, you know, find additional, find value in companies that do have strong ESG policies. And and I think they also find value and through ESG attracting a more talented workforce and to improve employee retention. So there's other reasons now that are really driving ESG protocols and programs within corporations. And I think a lot of it is good, although I think it needs, there needs to be much more balance in how we approach ESG nationally, especially you know, how it impacts our economy. I think in some cases it gets out a little too far where it's imposing undue regulation on companies and imposing costs that really don't need to be incurred right at this point in time. And I think there's just smarter approaches to how we can be doing ESG industry-wide. I will just reference, you know, the recently passed Inflation Reduction Act, where instead of it being a stick approach that's mandating companies, you know, move a certain direction on renewables and low carbon and net zero, it's really more of a carrot approach where it's offering incentives to companies who, you know, choose to do projects and invest in parts of the country that are socioeconomically distressed or have, you know, a traditional oil and gas industry with a lot of oil and gas talent where we need to be converting those skills and jobs into new energy transition jobs. And so I think the IRA program, I think, is a good example of how you can work with industry to provide incentives to move in a certain direction and where all all parties can get the outcomes that they're looking for. But, you know, again, not to be too critical, I think ESG has been meaningful to date. I think right now we're at a crossroads on what approach is most meaningful and works best. I think there's been been some glimmers of hope with recent legislation, but I think we need to keep down this path of offering more of a carrot approach and incentives for industry to transition as opposed to imposing undue costs and burden on industry. 
Great observance there. Thank you for that. And, you know, I think of going back to workforce development, which is so key right now to move forward our energy future. I think of how do you, and I'm referred to your habits and some of your tips you might provide, things like this. But one particular thing is how do those that are even wanting to consider to go in the energy industry as far as workforce and be part of that, where do they begin? What do you read? What do you suggest to read or to look directly to become more knowledgeable, even those that just want to have energy literacy. I mean, that's so important. How do people go about it? Because you are one of the most updated all the time <laughs> that I've ever known when it comes to energy. And so it's maybe I need to say, take some notes too from Jose on this one. <laughs> well, there's a lot of great resources today on understanding what's happening globally in the energy world. And the information is a lot more accessible today too. I think you know, as an individual, as a, you know, just as an enthusiast who really just wants to understand the trends and, and the, what's at stake and, and where the opportunities are, I mean, you can easily attend any number of energy policy conferences and trade shows, you know, that take place all over the world. Here in the United States, we have some very strong programs that are very easy to attend and are great experiences overall. I mean, from it's recently passed, but you know, in March every year, you have what's called CIRA Week in Houston. It's a week-long deep dive on energy policy, and now they've incorporated a lot of startup and innovation programming in that event. You, know, you can meet kind of the who's who of the energy world in Houston, including CEOs and startup community leaders and investors. So CIRA Week in Houston every year is just a great opportunity to learn a whole lot about what's happening in the energy world. And then I think also in Austin, Texas, you know, you have events like by Southwest, which is like a three week long technology policy, you know, film, music, everything in between type of trade show. And today, you know, South by Southwest focuses a whole lot on population health and energy policy and climate change and sustainability and ESG. So you can really learn a whole bunch from programs like South by Southwest this year, in fact, it was pretty amazing. They had former presidents of the United States and they had former energy secretaries and from both parties. And it was, I think, very evenly balanced in terms mm-hmm. of political ideologies. So I think South by is a great event. Also in Houston, they have what's called the Offshore Technology Conference. It's probably, probably the biggest energy conference in the world focused on offshore technology innovation, but really you get the whole global energy industry showing up to that event. So those are all great ways to get plugged in and really learn what's happening across the industry. I would also say there's a lot of great academic resources. You know, I came out of the University of Texas at Austin and UT Austin has a great energy institute called the UT Energy Institute. They have a great website with resources and reports and articles that were penned at the University of Texas by some of the smartest energy academics in the world. Similarly, Stanford University has a great energy and environment institute. So does MIT And all these materials are publicly available. And most of these universities do a lot of great public forums where they invite guest speakers and energy leaders to their campuses. And these are not just for students. They're really open to the public. UT Austin does a great energy forum on a monthly basis that's open to the public. So again, there's just a number of different ways to plug in and find this great information. I can even refer some of your guests to some of the energy leaders at UT Austin, who have their own private research That's wonderful. Uh, who publish a lot of reports on the energy markets. So yeah, Mark, I think today, I think the biggest difference is that really a critical energy information and thought leadership that previously used to really only be in the hands of 
maybe executives at big energy companies. I think all that information is really publicly available today. So anyone can really become a leader and an expert in energy if you just find the resources and spend some time reading through the material. You're right. There's so much material out there, and you've you directed us quite a bit today, directed those that are listening, both those students or upcoming students to senior fellows. We're all needing to always to have tips and build habits in reading material, as well as whether it's on social media or on Google or actually looking at materials like you're talking about at UT and other outlets as well. So really appreciate that. Future of Energy, how do you see it from workforce to cybersecurity to AI, I mean, I go on and on. I need to narrow that down, don't I? But still, how do you see the future of energy in the next five to 10 years? Where are we going? And how do we incorporate all these things, the digital transformation? And that's a very broad question. But to narrow that down, how do you narrow that down to what you're going to see or what we're going to see and envision the next five, 10 years plus? Yeah, well, I still think that, you know, technology is going to be the major game changer in the global energy industry. And we're already seeing a lot of investment dollars, venture capital, seed fund money, even corporate venture money going into these new energy technology areas like green hydrogen, green methanol, new advanced battery energy storage systems to carbon capture, utilization storage, green fuels, renewable fuels. You know, it's just amazing how much investment and research and pilot projects are and demonstration projects are happening right now in these new advanced energy technologies. So I think you're going to continue to see a lot of investment. And it's great if you're a startup or entrepreneur, it's a great time in in the course of history to be an energy entrepreneur, because I think the access to resources and funding and the ability to partner with large energy majors on testing out, proving out your business models and your new technologies have, have never been better. And I'm always happy to be a resource for any startup or entrepreneur that's wanting to get into the energy industry and really try to prove and validate and and scale up their business plans. And I think there's lots of great resources for that. But I think one underlying thing that is really clear in the energy industry today, it's not just about how we power our future economy or whether the fuel we're using is green or carbon-free, et cetera. It really comes down to the safeguards we put into place to guard our energy infrastructure. And this really comes down to digital security of our energy assets. And I think the cyber component to what we're seeing in energy today is just really critical. I think energy majors have been spending a ton of time and resources on safeguarding their own internal proprietary data and algorithms and all of their customer information and data as well. But I think broader, you know, kind of the broader energy sector still remains quite vulnerable, even from utilities and power generators. The ability for the grid to get hacked by opposition groups or rogue nations that want to do us harm, I think that's still a very real threat. And I think what the energy sector is trying to do more aggressively is to figure out, you know, how do they instill, you know, even more advanced cybersecurity controls and how do they, you know, test those systems on a regular basis to identify vulnerabilities. And and also, as our economy becomes more digital, our homes and businesses, every, you know, everyone's got these digital Wi-Fi thermostats and everyone's got their smartphones and their home servers and Wi-Fi networks. I mean, that just basically just creates more points of vulnerability on all of our infrastructure. And so, so I think we really need to continue advancing cybersecurity for the energy sector. I think energy majors, they have taken a lot of this work in-house by having their own in-house data centers and 
supercomputing centers, but I think in large part, you know, a, a lot of startups and mid-stage companies rely on a kind of third-party vendors for data management and transmitting data from the oil patch back to their mission control monitoring stations. And anytime, you know, you're crossing over communication networks or working with third-party data vendors, you know, there's always vulnerabilities. So I think, you know, as active as it's been with the launch of new energy startups focused on new energy fuels and power generation, you know, capabilities, I think we're going to have to see a whole new wave of just digital security and cybersecurity startups just for the energy sector, because I really do think that this is the biggest vulnerability we face right now as the power grid becomes stressed because of population growth and limited power generation resources and water availability and fuel availability. I think the whole system is being stressed. And of course, factoring in extreme weather events that can bring the grid down. I think we also need to recognize that you know more data is being transmitted and we have to really safeguard the data to help you know keep the infrastructure intact. That is something that, that I see as being extremely critical, Mark, long-term as we continue down this path of energy transition is, is how do you safeguard the infrastructure? How do you make it more resilient? How do you prevent you know, these vulnerabilities of, from you know, third-party you know, bad actors who want to do us harm, bring the grid down? Because we've seen it in Texas and other states, you know, the grid can go down for any number of reasons, and it can stay down for a very long time if a lot of damage has been done. Just in Austin, Texas, you know, about a month ago, we had a nice storm that literally brought the grid down for over two weeks for some people, which is just mind-boggling to think that a modern city in America can go without power for two weeks. So that is just goes to show that, you know, we still need a lot more advanced technologies and infrastructure to be implemented. There's so much more to talk about, Jose. I would really love to continue, and, and we'll definitely have you back because there's so much to cover. Each of the things that we've discussed, you know, like digital transformation, digi- you know, for cybersecurity, order, order, are subjects on their own, workforce development. But it all goes back to the importance of the future of energy and how we approach it and how we work together because it's going to take all of us. You've been listening to Jose Becerro and a great friend personally, but also to our industry and the energy sector. So thanks, Jose, for being on the Energy Fellows. Thank you so much, Mark. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, and I really appreciate being able to connect with you and your audience on these important topics. Yes, and we definitely want to have you back. We want to thank our sponsor and also to thank the OGGN family. It's great to be part of the family and the network. And the future of energy depends on us, depends on all of us. You've been listening to the Energy Fellows Podcast. Join us again next week on the Energy Fellows Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.